0: But as your kids get older, establishing some parameters for yourself actually serves the whole family unit in the long run. today's podcast. It is part two of 10. I think in part one, I said things very technical, but 10 observations or 10 lessons of the past decade of mum life. So this is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, jump on back, listen to that one first. You could absolutely listen to it in reverse. You're already here. It's not going to make a huge deal, but definitely have a listen. I'm really interested to know if anyone listening can relate to some of those things I've spoken about. So I will dive straight in to number six. I'll also just give you a heads up and say our new dog is sitting next to me. You're likely going to hear her scratch and roll around, but I just can't lock her out sometimes. I do put her outside. This is a complete tangent, but I do put the dogs outside when I'm interviewing guests, but I get such pet guilt working from home. You would think after so many years of working at home, I would have much better systems, but I don't. So she is sitting next to me. She's snoozing, but you might hear her snore or snort and let's just go with it. It's the end of the year. She's very cute. Anyway, number six. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members, in that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. It is so incredibly important to give kids the language for their feelings. Brene Brown has written a whole book on this. And if Brene Brown believes in it enough to write a whole book, that's enough for me to be like, yes, I cosign. Not that she would ever care if I cosign or not. But I have just seen how giving children the language for what they're going through positively impacts not only them and their own emotional state. But the whole, I guess, weather system for the family unit, because when kids are able to name what they are experiencing and identify the sensations going on in their bodies, it really, truly reduces that communication frustration and the acting out that comes from something totally different. When the boys were toddlers, I would often say it's so important to treat the actual cause and not just or sometimes not even focus on the symptom. And what I mean by that is If your child is acting out and you're going in and you're trying to discipline them acting out and having a tantrum without understanding what is the actual cause of that tantrum, you're missing a huge opportunity to teach them to connect the dots for their own internal system and processing and just, I guess, funnel of emotions because that is part of the human experience. We all have to learn, okay, I need to develop self-awareness and go, right, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? What is that leading to? So symptom is like when they're acting out, but the actual cause is what got them to that place. And there's a variety of different... Lenses we could look at that through. You know, sometimes with toddlers, they might be acting out or they might be biting at daycare. And so you're trying to remedy the biting by focusing on that behavior without actually gaining any intel of what's potentially causing that biting? Is it a communication frustration? Is it always happening at a specific time? Is it due to them being exhausted? Is it due to them being hungry? Is it a specific child? Is it a specific behavior? Actually trying, and sometimes you can't work it out, but trying to uncover what is going on. Much like if a child is saying they have a stomach ache and you know, okay, maybe it's more to do with their experiencing nerves and they don't want to go to school. Or your child... Becomes really teary and emotional, you actually sometimes need to just work back and go, okay, are they actually emotional over this little interaction that is taking place? Or are they emotional over a much bigger thing or something that I don't even know about? So, giving your kids the language to name their feelings is huge and it can start from a really young age. I definitely recommend that all families keep a feelings or emotions wheel handy. It's really helpful with primary school aged children to give them the vocabulary to explain what's going on in their inner world. If we as adults actually got that as children, it would be so helpful in our relationships, in our workplace, our friendships, every area, parenting. You know, if we were all raised to go, okay, what am I feeling? It's resentment. What am I feeling? you know, it's exhaustion, I'm burnt out, I've ignored myself, I'm not speaking up, whatever it is, you would then be able to say to your family, okay, this is why I'm acting this way or prevent it in the first place. So that's why number six is give kids the language for their feelings. Now that doesn't mean that you literally give it to them and you tell them what their internal experience is, but you teach them to be curious about what they're feeling. And that happens through curious conversations. It happens through sharing as well. And it doesn't have to be something that's like, right, okay, today I'm going to teach them how to do this. It's just how you move through the world. It's how you move in your parenting journey. When you go on a walk with them and you're talking about your day, don't leave out the parts where you felt a little bit envious, you know, when you had that wash over you and you had the opportunity to kind of assess that judgment. Those conversations people often avoid having with their kids because you don't want to worry your kids or make your kids think that anything's wrong in your life, but you can do it in a way that is very age appropriate and actually arms them with the tools to do so as well. Number seven, when you get it wrong, say that you got it wrong. I will like live and die by this. When you make a mistake when you overact, when you say something that you regret, when you don't, when you just fall short because that is part of life. As parents, we disappoint our kids sometimes just like they disappoint us. And when you get it wrong, say that you get it wrong. Don't go to your kids and make them feel that they're responsible for what's going on or not allow them to understand that they are a small piece of your life pie when it comes to life stresses you know if you're snappy in the kitchen when you're making dinner at your child who's had a really long day at school themselves and you don't actually take the time to pause and reflect and say hey Johnny I'm so sorry that I turned around and answered you like that that had nothing to do with you that was a mum thing you know, that was because I am... did And how much detail you want to share is entirely up to you and how old your kids are and their own, I guess, emotional capabilities. But when you get it wrong, say it. Don't teach your kids to deflect or to blame other people. Teach your kids to own up when they've dropped the ball and then to move on. You know, I hate the thought of any parents out there like stonewalling their kids or not talking to them or punishing them in that way. Like if they make a mistake and being like, well, can't talk to me, you know, practice accepting an apology and forgiveness and letting your kids move on. That's just such a huge part of life. And as parents, we have to do that as well. Let your kids know that you're human. You know, I think that long gone are the days where it's like kids should be seen and not heard and think that they're Parents are these all-powerful, all-knowing beings because we're just not. Number eight, boundaries. I'm so glad that I have had boundaries with the kids surrounding screen time. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't sometimes go, ooh, you know, maybe not allowing them screens under the age of three and maybe capping screens at times could make them seem more appealing to the kids. But I'll never know. I just think in parenting, it's so natural to always feel like you have to second guess anything. But I'm so glad that we have boundaries with screen times, and at 10 years old, they still ask if they can go on a screen. They know, like, they know that there are limitations when it comes to the things they can watch, the games that they can play, and the amount of time they can be on them when they are here with us. And the reason i am so uh i guess begging on about boundaries the reason i've included this is it makes life easier even when the kids have a friend over if they're playing screens and i say all right guys that's enough that's been 40 minutes time to wrap it up very rarely will they even say anything back they'll just say okay and they'll wrap it up. Like sometimes they might say, oh, we've got five more minutes of this. Can we did Or this show's got three minutes left, Mum, Can we finish it? And of course, yep, sure. No worries. Finish that off. But they will never say like, no, I don't want to get off the screens and have a big meltdown over it because it's been something that I have consistently done with the boys. And I think that when it comes to screens, establishing those boundaries after they've already had extreme exposure, extreme freedom with it, it's so much harder. But you can, of course, do it. And it all comes down to just actually sticking to it and not allowing any amount of whinging or begging to kind of make you cave on it. But being really firm with those screen boundaries is something that I'm so glad I have done with them. Boundaries as well in terms of drawing a line in the sand and saying to the kids if I am in the shower unless the house is burning down or you've hurt yourself you can wait you can wait five to ten minutes you don't need to yell at me through the shower door you don't need to follow me to the bathroom you can wait a few minutes in the morning when I wake up all of those sorts of things that don't always come naturally as a parent because when you become a mom especially you're so attached to your baby as you should be and I'm certainly not saying you shouldn't be but there is a real blurring between me and you and mine and ours and where I end and you begin and those sorts of things but as your kids get older establishing some parameters for yourself actually serves the whole family unit in the long run because if you can have that uninterrupted shower and you're not getting like jackhammered by 20 million requests while you're on the toilet you actually can be a lot calmer and more able to respond in a way that you want to respond so having some boundaries with your kids even things like um you know as i've mentioned the boys are very into certain fantasy genres and for a while there that's all they would talk about over dinner. And it actually took another mum saying to me, oh, I just made a rule that we don't discuss Dungeons and Dragons over dinner because, and she said to me, she realized she was the one making the dinner. She was the one serving the dinner. And then she was the one sitting at the table, not involved in the conversation because in that family unit, it's not just her kids, it's her partner as well. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think to draw that boundary. So sometimes I'll just say to the boys, all right, we're having a fantasy free meal tonight. We're going to chat about our days or let's chat about this concept or let's practice conversation skills, literally anything but a game or fantasy or LARPing, live action role playing, (laughs) like anything but that tonight. So just know that you don't have to be completely collapsible And you can establish some boundaries and it's all for the greater good. Number nine is kind of linked to my earlier point about when you get it wrong, say you get it wrong. And to also the point about giving your kids the language for naming their feelings. But number nine is to be honest with your kids in an age appropriate way when you can be. It's okay to speak about the hard parts and the challenges because I think it allows them to know Oh, hard parts and challenges are part of life. Like when they get up on a Monday morning and they say they don't want to go to school and they're dreading the day, I say to them, I understand. I know how that feels because I do. I was that kid. I didn't want to go to school. I would often cry on the way to school. And even now as an adult, there are lots of parts of life that sometimes I will dread. So I'll talk to the boys about that and I'll say, I'm really Nervous about this. I'm really unsure about that. I'm thinking whatever it is, and certainly not in a way to offload to them. And you do have to practice, um, you know age-appropriate conversation and also your own discretion about the information they can handle and as a parent, you've just got to rely on the intel that you have on each kid. Like there are certain things that I can tell one of my boys that I wouldn't tell the other necessarily or I would word it differently because I'm aware of their sensitivities. But being honest when you can is a gift. You don't have to put this facade on that everything's perfect because then your kids might grow up thinking that that's how life should be And then when they stumble and they fall short, they're going to feel even harder on themselves. They're going to be harder on themselves. You know, letting them know that when two people love each other, it does take communication and it does take effort and it does take self-awareness. And, you know, even with your parents and your children, sometimes you have to say, I'm just going to take a pause and I'm going to come back to this soon. But I love you. I think that that's a real gift that we can give our kids. And it's also a gift to their future families if they go on to have them, you know, and maybe they have families in different ways that, you know, a community, work, friends, whatever it is, but allowing them to actually speak about the hard parts and know that that is okay. And to also, I guess, for them to practice just sitting in that and not feeling as though they need to provide a solution. And some kids probably would feel like, oh, if I knew that there was a challenge, I might think that it's on me to provide a solution. So you've got to be very aware of what you're telling them in the context. And you certainly don't need to tell them, you know, the ins and the outs of certain things, but you can keep it surface level and still provide that service of allowing them to know that all humans doubt themselves at times. All humans do stumble and fall and that's OK. It's part of the experience and we get back up and we keep moving. Number 10, perspective. And this is more so a lesson or an observation for me as a mum, given that it's a decade of mum life. Perspective is something I am always having to remind myself of because when you are in parenting, particularly with young children, and I certainly can't speak for what it's like with teenagers or young adults or adults, but when you are in parenting with young kids, Everything can feel so critical, and every struggle they go through can just feel so enormous. And you do, you carry it with you. But having that perspective, right? Like when I think about, you know, if I was to have a baby now, I would have the perspective of understanding that when I'm in hospital, sure every single time a shift changes and it's a new midwife or nursing team member, they're going to have a different way for me to do things. You know, I was even talking about this just last night with one of my mum's friends who was funnily enough, one of the midwives in the room when the boys were born. And I said this exact thing to her, like, After I had the boys, I found it so hard being in hospital because every single person there had such a strong opinion on how I should be doing things, you know, like put a cool washer on their feet to keep them awake to feed them. Don't do that. Allow them to have a sleepy feed. There's nothing wrong with that. They're tiny. Oh, if you're going to feed them, make sure you're using a football hold. Don't hold them like that. You know, there was always someone that had something to say to me. And I think now, if I was to go back and do it again, I would have so much more perspective and also be so much stronger at advocating for myself and also... I would hope I would have that perspective enough to zoom out and know that it all passes. It is all transient. Whereas the first time, you know, it just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get the hang of this. My whole life is upside down. I don't know which way is up. I can't do this. And all of these people keep telling me different things. And it's like that with every stage, you know, you go through the teething and it just feels like, oh my gosh, what can I do to help my child? But it all passes and it's all part of it. Even now, like when one of the boys in particular is having some challenges this year at school, it feels so heavy because it's so concentrated. And I try and remind myself when he's an adult, I'll probably look back on this and go, oh, remember that you had a really hard year in primary school. Was it grade four or was it grade three? Oh, no, it was grade four because of it. And hopefully it's not this hugely defining thing that sticks in his mind and that's just part of the fabric of who he is. Even um, in that conversation that I had with my mum for the subscriber podcast, if you've listened to it, you'll hear my mum talk about how she has carried so much guilt for being a working mum and feeling like she always prioritised work over the kids. And I said to her, that was never my perception. Like literally out of anything I could have said about my upbringing, that would not have crossed my mind. It wouldn't even make the top 10. So that gives me a bit of perspective as well to go, okay, these things that I fixate on or worry about, or that feel so big and heavy and hard right now, maybe they actually aren't as big a deal. And I won't know that until we get through it. I won't know that until time passes. So perspective is a huge one, I think, when it comes to mum life. So That is part two of A Decade of Mum Life. I would love to hear from you. Let me know if any of those points resonated with you. Don't forget, if you are keen for some more episodes, you can jump on over and listen to the subscriber episodes or come on over to Sunroom if you fancy starting to work out from home with me or you're just interested to see what sort of stuff goes on over there. All of the links are in the show notes. I appreciate you listening and take care. Before you run off, I just wanted to mention that over on Sunroom, you're going to find exclusive content that will be seen nowhere but Sunroom. And the reason for this is Sunroom is a safe platform. Things can't be screenshotted. They can't be shared or taken out of context, really. Sunroom is the inner circle and I am over there sharing workouts, reflections, honest, truly raw thoughts and feelings, instant reactions to certain things that are going on in my life and so much more. Over there, you can also organize your own custom experience. If you've ever wanted to book a mentoring session with yours truly to perhaps take your idea for your own podcast and start creating Maybe you have a podcast already, but you really want to learn some of the tricks of the trade when it comes to monetizing, streamlining, pitching to guests or just creating a stronger podcast in general. I'm the first person to say I am not a business strategist, but I certainly am someone who loves the podcasting space. And with over 400 episodes under my belt, I will happily help you to learn from the mistakes I've made in the past and to cut out some of those tricky lessons and to just benefit from that experience. I love talking about podcasting and personal branding so if you want to book a session with me you can do that through sunroom as well you can also receive personalized voice notes and advice and so much more over there link is in the show notes, so come on over join the inner circle and the circle is small so the messages are getting answered quickly and i am available to you over through the sunroom app link is in the bio Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bundjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hold up.